Welcome back to the official SEC Slow Smoked Conference Championship Recap. I'm your host, Alex. I got Holt and JB on the line from different cities all around the world. Um, JB, are you, are you finally done nutting from the SEC Championship game? Uh, not quite yet. It's I still got some reserves. But yeah, it was a pretty exciting game. What about you, Holt? You still you still got some reserves? No, man, I'm all out. Thanks for asking. Yeah, gotta make sure. Well, I mean, you picked the right time to use it all, man. It was it was a really good game. Um, was it Holt? Was it the best game of the year? I mean, considering the stakes and the storylines, and everybody loves a good comeback story. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, but uh, it was a great game, and um. Yeah, I mean, I had to say it's probably the best game of the year. What would be the number two game of the year? Would it be the West Virginia Texas game, maybe? Uh, yeah, that was a really good one. Um, I thought LSU Auburn was a really fun game. Yeah, earlier um, here, yeah. I mean, LSU Texas A and M. I mean, yeah, pretty but, great game. But I think this Georgia Alabama game trumped that completely. Even though that was seven overtimes, that was kind of crazy. I just think what you're saying, the stakes being a lot higher. Um, although that was a big win for Texas A&M, I think this is just a um, huge game nationally, um, SEC championship. So, very, very good game. And it seems like uh, over the years, Georgia and Alabama obviously don't play each other every year. But when they do play each other, it's usually for SEC championship or the national championship. And um, never disappoints all the way back to, I think it was 2012 when um, Aaron Murray was just short of, I guess they weren't tying it. They were actually going to win it if they scored that touchdown. And then um, the national championship game last year, too, was obviously great. So um, maybe this is like a renewed rivalry, Holt. Um, I, I guess I'll ask JB. You know how that Alabama-LSU rivalry kind of just naturally happened over the years because both teams were really good. Is this going to be like a new rival in SEC? Oh, absolutely, yeah. The only problem is that, you know, they're both in opposite divisions and they're not uh... – permanent crossover rivals so the only time they will get to meet each other is in the sec championship so unless you get another program in the sec like lsu or auburn or in the east you know florida or south carolina or tennessee uh it's pretty much going to be georgia and alabama for the foreseeable future so yeah this is a, a new budding rivalry and both of these teams are going to be meeting each other in atlanta for for you know at least the next few years now it seems and we'll both probably might be meeting in the playoffs too well memphis is still a free agent you're looking to add to the SEC and get one more team. We'll, we'll figure out the other team, but maybe you get Memphis and App State, and then you have uh, two two teams from opposite divisions, and you can maybe move Alabama over to the East and even it out a little bit more. Um, but doubt that's going to happen. But um, yeah, so great game all around. Um, I don't know. I, I guess it was exciting from the opening kickoff, but I mean, to me, it really got exciting uh, fourth quarter. I was, I was. Uh, I'll admit I was watching more of the Memphis UCF game because I am a Memphis fan first and foremost. Um, that was a great game until they lost, so not really a great game overall. But um, I was flipping over in between, and most surprising to me in this game was probably um, obviously that Jalen came in, but that two through two interceptions. The line was, I think it was a thirteen and a half, and it got to twelve, and you know. It seems like that seemed very reasonable given Alabama's average margin of victory. That would, that would be a drink. I guess what would that be a shot hold if you said the average margin of victory, the 22-point victory? Uh, I think that was just a drink. Just a normal drink. Um, and, I, by the way, I wasn't following along with the whole drink game as much as 
Um, y'all probably were because y'all watching the entire game instead of me, me just flipping back and forth. Did did they say everything we tried to cover in the drink game? Uh, I don't think they said everything. Um, I got to go back and look at it. There was a few things that I was surprised they didn't mention. Like, they actually didn't show the uh, Aaron Murray game that you were talking about earlier, which I thought for sure that they would, you know, show that at some point. Um, Gary Danielson got one wrong, though, right? Yeah, he got a decision wrong. Um, they never said anything about Damian Harris could have gone to the NFL. I think that's something they've said in, like, every other game that he's called, though. Uh, I mean, I could just go down right down the list. They definitely talked about two for the Heisman. Alabama get there with a the loss. They said Justin Fields a ton of times. Danielson got a review wrong. Uh, Fromm threw for a, a few first downs. Um, Brad definitely called Gary Partner at least like ten times. So <laughs> Gary Partner, uh, uh, that's that was the thing. <laughs> yeah, I think he call, he calls him that like all the time. Like he'll just be like, "All right, partner." Like all, I don't know. You, All right, partner. We're we're in a tight game right now. But the the crazy thing was is the shotgun a beer of two. It throws an interception, and then he throws one like immediately, like once the game starts. You, I was uh, like, oh, oh. You said you said Brad, and I thought you meant our founding forefather, Brad. Not, oh, not no, I, was, <laughs> I don't know how someone watching on TV would know that, but no, no, no. no. I just I was thinking, um, not not logically there for a second. But you mentioned two of throwing interceptions. That was actually the point I was going to make was um, the line was 12, 13 and a half, and it got down to 12 when I got to kick off at the 12. And um, for that game to be that close for Georgia, you thought, or I would at least think, that they would have to throw two off somehow, which right now seems unimaginable because Tua hasn't really had a bad game. But this is actually a legitimately bad game. You can't – like you could say maybe he had a bad game against LSU and Mississippi State for his standards, but still overall not a bad game at all, pretty good numbers. But this game was actually truly a bad game. Um, I think he only had a uh, low 100 yards passing and um, maybe like a 50% completion rate. I have to look up the stats to see what exactly he was. But uh, he threw two interceptions, which is very, very surprising to me. Uh, do you think Georgia like got lucky with his interceptions, or do you think this is the effect of Kirby Smart scouting Tua and preparing the defense really well? I think the secondary played really well, and they were able to get pressure on Tua. That was like a really big deal. Not many teams have been able to get pressure on him this year. And, um, you know, you could tell he was just holding the ball a little bit too long and trying to make too many big plays. Um, he had a, a, a lot of drops, too. He had a touchdown pass yeah, uh, that was true. dropped. He had, a like, a, a play that would have been, like, a 40-, 50-yard gain to the tight end that he dropped. So, I mean, there, there was a, a decent amount of drops in that first half. So, it wasn't all on him. But definitely not his best performance. But I do think you have to give uh, Georgia's defense some credit because they were able to pressure him, and then this, the back end played really well, and they were able to um, keep those Alabama receivers in check for most of the game. Shout out to us for previewing this game, right? Because we definitely did say the Georgia secondary was better than Alabama's and something to watch for. Um, so I'm, I'm, glad, I'm proud of us for getting that one right. We're not completely uh, dumbasses all the time. Sometimes every now and then we get lucky and get one right. Um, Jeb, you were watching this game from start to finish. What at what point did you think Alabama? Well, first of all, just take me through the motions of your of, for you watching this game. Did you think after the first quarter, after the first half, at what point did you think Georgia might actually win this? And then what point did you turn around and say, okay, Alabama's actually going to come back and do what Alabama does? Uh, the point where I thought maybe Georgia was going to actually win this game or have a you know, being confirmed control was when Tua Tagovailoa threw that interception. The second one? And, yeah, at the two-yard line. 
it just felt like everything at that point was just going Georgia's way. They were getting all the breaks. Uh, the one thing I noticed in this game I want to give a shout-out to is that Georgia offensive line, especially their third-string right guard, he held that Alabama defensive tackle or defensive line in check, really gave uh, Jake Fromm a lot of time to throw, not just him, but also the entire offensive line. Pass protection was beautiful yesterday. That Alabama uh, front seven could not get any pressure hardly at all on Jake Fromm. And Fromm was just – I mean, he was absolutely incredible yesterday. Every throw he was making was pretty much on the money. Uh, they were controlling the time of possession with long, sustained drives and keeping Alabama's offense off the field. I mean, they pretty much played a perfect game for three and a half quarters yesterday. I mean, everything was going right for them. It almost feels like two and getting hurt is what helped Bama win because Kirby Smart did not prepare at all for Jalen Hurts at all. That's that's the biggest difference is that the Georgia defense was not prepared for Jalen Hurts. They only prepared for Tua. So you can almost uh, put put a little bit of blame here, but on Kirby Smart for not at least preparing a little bit for Jalen Hurts, considering that Tua has been – you know, Tua has had some injury issues, especially with his knee. But, you know, you got to give credit to Alabama. They were playing really horrible football for three and a half quarters in this game and were only down seven in crunch time. I mean, that that's a testament of how awesome they are. That's just how good they are, too. I don't know if you answered the second part of the question, but I'm going to go ahead and throw in go ahead. what I think was whenever I saw Waddle score, um, it was like a 50-yard, like it was basically a catch and Crossing, run. yeah, a crossing route. Yeah, 50 yards. I was like, okay, Alabama's actually getting some momentum here. They they might actually you know, win this game like they're supposed to. It's just, it's just crazy. When you see really good teams that win all the time and rarely lose – um, you just you just think like you you don't you don't think that you're gonna actually win the game. That's how like I was watching the Memphis UCF game, um, because I, I know we we started off with like a twenty one to seven lead, and I just like thought that was not never safe. And same with this, even though Georgia got up I think up twenty eight to fourteen, I just never felt like that was safe because it's like until Alabama messes up and loses, I'm not gonna believe that they're actually going to lose and just give up. So. I think that was when um, I thought this was a good game. Oh, yeah. I thought it was yeah. kind of a big momentum swing, too, when uh, Blankenship missed that field goal. That would have made it yeah. 31-14. Yeah. I, thought that a, I mean, even though Alabama did end up scoring 35 points, I think that was kind of like a, you know, Alabama was kind of like, you know, oh, we just caught a break right there. And, you know, he doesn't miss a lot of field goals. And just like you're saying, that, that throw to Waddle, you know, that made it – yeah, I mean, he's just – Really fun to watch. He's really fast. Uh, I didn't even know people could get that fast, honestly. But yeah, that the, yeah, really, really is that whole sequence there where the missed field goal by Blankish hit the chip shot. I think it was like a thirty-four yarder wide left, and then the ensuing possession, Alabama throws a touchdown to Waddle. It was a pretty much a ten-point swing there. It was going to be thirty-one fourteen if he made the field goal. Instead, we're looking at twenty-eight twenty-one, and Bama's right back yeah. in it. And then they once they got that momentum, they didn't give it back. You know, the rest of the game. I mean. They were, that's just the thing about playing Alabama is like you just you're kind of just waiting on them to start their run like you know the whole game even if you're like Georgia and you're confident that you know you're just as good or whatever there's I think there's always that little bit in the back of your mind at least when I watch Alabama that once they make like one play it's just like now they're gonna make like ten plays and twenty plays and like the game's just gonna be over and uh, Blankenship never misses field goals either he's a very accurate kicker college kicker. <clears throat> So that was really surprising to me because it was a chip shot in a dome. So he is. No, no he is. Yeah. And, and another thing is that Georgia, you know, was in control of this entire game. And even at the end when Alabama tied it and Kirby Smart, fuck, I don't know what the hell he was thinking by going for it on fourth and 11. 
you know, with that much time left, That's like 50. three minutes left in the game, if you could have just punted it, pinned them deep inside the 10-yard line, chances are you're probably going to get a stop at that point You because they've been adjusting to Jalen Hurts. And then you probably are going to be having overtime. At least give your team a chance. Instead, Kirby Smart, I don't understand why he went forward there, fourth and 11, especially when Alabama was in a punt-safe formation, too. Like, they were ex- expecting a possible fake, and they were ready for it. I'm sure Holt would say the same thing, too. That was probably one of the worst plays I've play calls I've ever seen, you know, in all my time of watching football. And this could come back to haunt Kirby Smart in the future. For Yeah, I'm definitely not uh, against being aggressive and, you know, doing something to try to capture that momentum back. I mean, you know, you can sit there and, like, call it, you know, a bad idea or, or whatever. Uh, but if, if it works out, uh, Georgia wins the game. That's I mean, what I'm saying. Plain and simple. Like, if, if they had gotten that, they would have won the game. The problem was – is that Alabama knew that the, a fake was coming. They immediately they noticed did. that Justin Field was on the field, and uh, they basically were just running like a base defense. I don't even think they took any of their defenders out yeah. of the game. Yeah, they were so, running I mean, base defense. And the problem, once, the worst, yeah. And what I hated is that Curry Smart didn't call a timeout. Why the yeah. hell did you not call a timeout when you could tell that Bama was sensing it? Yeah. I mean, once, once the defense knew that Justin Fields was on the field and they were pointing him out, I mean, it was so obvious what was about to happen. I mean, but – you know, that being said, either if you don't want to take a timeout, just like let the, you know, play clock run out and just take the delay game or whatever. But don't, you know, don't just run it and hope it works because, you know, you might as well just run a regular offensive play. And I mean, to me, like what killed me, I mean, that whole drive was bad for Kirby Smart, you know, starting off with Justin Fields, the first play when Fromm has been absolutely like on fire the whole game. And you just, you put in Justin Fields there on the first play of the drive. Like, I just don't understand that at all. Like, Justin right. Fields hasn't – he hasn't done anything, in my opinion, to deserve to be on the field in that moment. And, he hasn't. I mean, yeah. And it's just it's, questionable. And it, what I don't hate so much is that Kirby Smart is so desperate to keep Justin Fields and that he's putting him out there for five obvious plays every game where you know exactly what's about to happen. And those five plays are just a complete waste because the defense knows what's about to happen. And, and more than likely, even after all this, Justin Fields is probably going to transfer after the season too because Fromm is a surefire starter. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I understand what you're saying, JB, but there, there's a good chance. I'm mean, not a good chance, but there is a chance that Fromm could still go to the NFL after junior year. So that's not. Well, still, I don't know if Justin Fields is going to sit out, you know, another year or two. Justin Fields wants to play. I got granted he will have to sit out next year if he transfers. But at this point, I don't even know if he does want to stay. Yeah, that's just. I mean, you don't you don't know him personally, and like, what no, I don't. So you don't you don't. It's just his, it was his vibe after the game. I don't know if you saw his post game interview. Someone asked him if he was going to. Transfer and he says, "Well, we're going to wait for the season to finish first, and then we'll talk about it." Yeah, that's all another discussion to begin with. I know whenever he was being highly recruited, um, he I think I don't know if he grew up a Georgia fan. I think he did. I know Jake Fromm did, but Fields said like he he just decided to stop thinking about um, you know the depth chart and the situation and just go where he wanted to go, and that's how he got to Georgia. But I just don't understand like how people, especially quarterbacks, decide to go to a place like Georgia when you have a quarterback although it did work out for Fromm when Easton got hurt but um, I just don't understand why he didn't try to go somewhere else and do something better like you're just gonna be in a situation now where you have to transfer right but, I mean yeah Fromm Fromm is you know pretty much another example like Fields he was a five-star highly recruited quarterback and he chose Georgia when they already had a five-star just one year ahead of him and Easton who looked like he was gonna be a starter for for the next couple of years yeah. And then, you know, that's he, he got the position handed to him once Easton got hurt, and he 
took the job and never left it. Hold if we rewind this whole podcast we've been doing, you know, back to the beginning of the year, we did um, SEC quarterback rankings, and um, we know you had Drew like way ahead of everybody else, but JB was high on Jake Fromm, but you weren't. Did this game change your mind about Fromm? Because I don't think – I think you were thinking more of him being as a game manager than anything, but like this is above and beyond game manager, or at least this championship game was. Yeah, definitely. I mean, not just this game, but really like the whole season, minus maybe the LSU game. I mean, he's just re- he's really stepped it up this year. And, you know, last year, um, you know, obviously he was a little bit more of a game manager and they kind of ran the offense, you know, around that and kind of, you know, really didn't open it up for him. But uh, this year he's really stepped up and, uh, been a really good, you know, quarterback, obviously. And, you know, he's been a great leader, too. I mean, he just – just like we were talking about in the preview, I mean, he just has all the intangibles. He does everything right. And, you know, he came to play, and it seemed like he was one step ahead of the defense the whole game. And, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I definitely – he's definitely changed my opinion um, throughout the course of the season. But, you know, doing it on a in a big game against a great defense like that, you know, I mean, that's what great quarterbacks do. JB, I know you're a Tennessee fan, which means you're anti-Alabama, but did you shed a tear when Jalen Hurts came back in and got the game-winning touchdown to tie it? He tied the, tied the game up, and they got the game-winning touchdown. Did you uh, shed a slight tear for Jalen Hurts? Because it is such a nice little story here. It is, and, you know, they say grown men don't cry, and uh, it definitely took a little bit for me to hold it in. Like, I know you call me a Bama hater, but uh, I have absolute admiration for the Alabama football program, and – with that being said, yeah, I was extremely happy for Jalen Hurts yesterday. This was just a perfect story written for him. You know, he it's pretty much just exactly what happened 11 months ago. Tua comes in to relieve Jalen Hurts, and then 11 months later, Jalen Hurts comes back in to relieve Tua and, you know, leads him to a victory. Yeah, this was really poetic, and this is going to be something that will be talked about for years to come, for decades, and Jalen Hurts will forever be cemented as – one of Alabama's favorite players. Does this create a quarterback controversy again in the, going into the playoff? No, absolutely not. If Tua is healthy going into the playoff, he will be the surefire starter. <clears throat> you got to ride with the one that got you there. I haven't been checking the status of Tua. It was an ankle injury that's been kind of nagging him, right? Uh, High ankle sprain. Right. It's been nagging him, though, because he, he's been making jokes about how he can barely, barely move around. But um, – is he – have you heard any, like, latest update? I mean, I guess it's only been one game, so you can't really monitor it now. But they'll have, like, what? Um, the the uh, playoff game isn't until the 29th, so that's almost a month Yeah, away. they got four weeks. And what I saw is that they said he's going to be out for about two weeks, which is perfectly fine because Alabama's probably not going to really be doing any practicing for the next few weeks anyway. And they'll just give Tua some time to get healthy and just, you know, watch film. That's all he's going to have to do for the next two weeks is just rest – get some treatment, and watch film. Also, same with you here, JB. Um, mentioned earlier that this possibly will be the SEC championship game for the foreseeable future with Willie Saban and Kirby Smart as uh, head coach. I know Holt's a uh, state fan, so, I mean, you're in the West, and you've been witnessing Alabama pretty much win every single game in the SEC and win national championship every year. So it's kind of like you almost accept what it is that Alabama's going to play in the SEC championship except for last year, I guess. But now Georgia coming over. This is two years in a row for Georgia in the SEC championship, and you're a Tennessee fan. How does that feel? Like, do you feel like you have a chance to compete for SEC championships in the East now, or do you think Georgia's just going to run it? 
I mean, I do. I mean, I don't I mean Georgia. Yeah, they're, it's still relatively new in the uh, Kirby Smart tenure, and I mean the jury's out on how Dan Mullen or Jeremy Pruitt will and want do at Tennessee. I mean, we kind of know what's happening on in Missouri. Those two programs just aren't going to be able to get on Georgia's level, you know, as far as like recruiting and yeah. you know competing. At least the Florida and Tennessee programs have the resources to uh, compete with Georgia. You know, the jury's out on Mullen and Pruitt, and if they can actually get to Kirby Smart's level. But, I mean, it's, it's definitely possible that we could have at least a rivalry in the SEC East instead of just maybe Georgia dominating. I think that's better for the SEC to at least have a few teams and more parity. So you don't want to see another situation where it's just, you know, Georgia's the new Alabama in the East. You don't want to see that. Everyone wants to see some parity. So you're saying you think it could be like old times Georgia, Florida, and Tennessee? I think it's, I think it's definitely definite possibility with that. I mean, I think Mullen's definitely going to win at Florida. I don't know if he's going to win the same way Kirby Smart's winning right now, but I could definitely see Florida winning the East every once in a while. Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. I, I hope it is there is parity. I mean, eventually Saban's going to have to retire, and at that point, you you can figure out what's going to happen in the the West. Um, Alabama could continue. You could even see. I think A and M has a chance to really step it up with the way they're recruiting, um, and Jimbo's a really good coach. So we'll see how it plays out, but. Um, yeah, it's going to look like, at least next year, it looks like it's going to be Alabama-Georgia again because both both quarterbacks are coming back and um, Georgia's defense is going to be better than this year. And then uh, Alabama's defense is always good and probably going to be better as well. So um, I don't know if you get bored with that, but, I mean, it's, like, always a good game. It's kind of like um, a couple of years ago when Alabama and LSU played twice um, in the same year, the once in the regular season, I think it was a 6-3 game, and then – um, Alabama won that's the championship. A lot of people got mad because it was a, a rematch, but that both games, well, at least the first game was really good, and those were the two best teams. Which brings me up to the next point, Holt. The uh, committee is out and have set the playoffs at exactly what we thought, the same as last week. Clemson, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma in the playoff for the top four, um, with Ohio State out. Uh, Georgia out and UCF are the, I guess, the three biggest teams that are out that people would argue over. Do you think the playoff committee got it right, Holt? Um, I mean, with the format we have now, uh, I do. Um, you know, I know they say they want the four best teams, but it, it really is the four most deserving teams, I guess you could say. Yeah. And uh, even though I think the two best teams in the country played yesterday in the SEC championship game, um, I, you know, Georgia has two losses, and you know what? Like, with two losses, it's just it's just hard to, to put you in. I mean, I, you know, I don't really care about commerce championships or anything like that. Um, but the fact is, like, three teams went undefeated. Three power five teams went undefeated. So, obviously, they all have to be in. And Oklahoma wins their only loss. And, um, you know, while, while I do agree that Georgia is one of the four best teams in the country, you know, at the same time, they had their opportunity – and, um, you know, they had a two-touchdown lead in the, in the second half, and they, they couldn't hold on. And they also uh, completely laid an egg in Baton Rouge earlier this season. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you put those two things together, like, you know, I hate it for them. I do think they're one of the four best teams. But they had their chance, and uh, they didn't make the most of it. Yeah, and the worst thing is that Georgia laying egg in Baton Rouge may have been the difference. Because I think if Georgia had been undefeated going to the SEC Championship and lost in the fashion that they lost, I think they actually would have gotten in over Oklahoma just because uh, they would have only had one loss. Just because the re- with them ha- with Georgia having two losses and not being the conference champion, I think the committee just felt the pressure. Like they couldn't leave 
a 12-1 and Oklahoma team that won its conference out and put Georgia in. So let's let's talk through this, though. I think, JB, are you on the board with Holt saying that Georgia is one of the four best teams? They just don't deserve it with Oklahoma winning. The yeah, they're, they're one of the four best teams. I just think they're probably on paper not going to be more deserving because they have two losses and they didn't win their conference. If, I, Georgia, if Georgia had beaten LSU early this year and it was 12-1 and one and just lost the SEC championship, they would have been put in over Oklahoma. Let's let's talk through this for a second. So we have the we have we'll just go through all all six teams here. So we we everybody thinks Alabama is the best team. Um, after that, it gets a little dicey. So would y'all say Georgia could beat Clemson, Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Oklahoma? All four of those teams, and I guess there's four on top of that if you want to include them. I would pick Georgia over Ohio State. I would pick them over Notre Dame. Clemson's kind of a toss up. So I would put Georgia definitely top two or three. I don't know what Holt would say, but. Georgia's yeah, definitely would, a top three team. I would have Georgia ahead of Clemson just because I trust their quarterback more right now. Um, you know, I mean, that being said, I still think Trevor Lawrence has more upside long term. But, you know, I mean, he's still just a freshman. We really haven't seen him against, like, a really good defense. So, uh, that I mean, that's just one thing that I'm just kind of – I'm still kind of waiting to see mode on him. So, I'm not – I don't have quite as much faith in him as I do from. And, uh, you know, Clemson's secondary has been really – struggling uh they haven't really had to face a lot of really good teams but they've been torched by two different uh pretty average sec offenses and um you know that's just something that i'm worried about with them but uh you know i would have alabama one georgia two clemson three and then i'd probably have oklahoma four and notre dame you know probably fifth or sixth question number two after this playoff is set here um, so Tuba did have his first true bad game against Georgia here with two interceptions, and I'm looking at his numbers now. Ten for 25, 164 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. 15.1 QB rating if you're into that kind of thing. Um, but so that's R for nerds, JB, as some people say. Um, with this game, Holt, and then JB, you can elaborate, is Tua still the leader for the Heisman, or has Kyler Murray passed him, or even Dwayne Haskins? Because he had a great game too against Northwestern. You want to yeah, go first, Harold, or me? Yeah, I'll go ahead. Um, I just want to say, like, real quick, um, you know, I think maybe nationally, uh, Kyler Murray got ahead of Tua. I mean, in my mind, um, I would still have Tua number one just because he played great for the entire season. And, um, you know, yeah, I mean, he didn't play great on Saturday, but he was also really banged up and had some drops, like I mentioned earlier. Georgia's a really good team, and they deserve a lot of credit as well. Um, I just think Tua played in an elite level all season. He's um, one of the best passers I've ever seen, and he's played uh, significantly better defenses throughout the course of the season than, uh, you know, Oklahoma or Ohio State have. Um, that being said, um, you know, Tua also has a lot of talent around him and a really good defense. Um, you know, Kyler, Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins don't really have the luxury of a great defense. They kind of have to carry the team on their back every week and play for four quarters and all that. So, you know, I understand both sides of it, but I would still have to give it to Tua just because I think he was amazing the entire season. And I don't really think he had a bad game, but definitely not a great game uh, for him. And, um, you know, it's just kind of like the recency bias, I think may hurt him, but uh, he would still be my favorite. JB, let's turn it over to you. Go ahead and uh, refute everything Holt just said. Well, I guess I'm going to be a uh, devil's advocate here. Uh, the biggest stat going into yesterday's game is only 10% of the Heisman ballots have been submitted. 
So not, the rest of the 90% of the people that were going to be submitting their ballots were waiting to see yesterday's games. And Tua did not have a good game at all yesterday. Kyler Murray had an outstanding game. So if I had to pick predict who's going to win the Heisman now, it's going to be Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray's probably going to win the Heisman. Who would I vote for? I would still vote for Tua just because his body work for the entire season is still, in my opinion, a little bit better than Kyler Murray. But I think, as Holt said, recency bias is probably going to win over here, and Kyler Murray will be your Heisman Trophy winner. But who cares? I mean, it's it's a big picture thing to me. Like, I don't think winning the Heisman Trophy is going to be a big deal for Alabama. They've already got enough Heisman winners. The championship's what they got focused on. Yeah, it'll um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, two maybe a month ago, there was no way that anybody's going to beat Tua, and then um, just because he had one bad game. That was recent. Um, Kyler Murray might pass him. Kyler Murray does have better numbers, but I guess Tua plays better defenses. Uh, Big 12 defenses aren't aren't great. Um, who is a more exciting player between the two? I, I personally like watching Kyler Murray play more just because I like watching scrambling quarterbacks. Play. Oh, yeah. Kyler Murray is definitely more exciting to watch. I mean, just because he has the ability to you know, scramble with his legs. I mean, yeah, obviously Tua can run a little bit too, but he doesn't have the speed and elusiveness of Kyler Murray either. It's, it's just that offense that Oklahoma runs, so it's just exciting to watch. Yeah, I, I like the fact that with Murray, what makes him so exciting is it's not just that he can scramble. It's that, like, I mean, he can break out of the pocket and just outrun everybody to the end zone. You know what I mean? You just don't see a lot of quarterbacks that can do that. You don't see a lot of running backs that can do that. So, I mean, it's just – he's just really exciting to watch, and you never know what's uh, what's going to happen with college on the field. It is, and it's a shame that uh, he's playing baseball after this. Like, this is the last time we're going to be watching him play football. I mean, potentially for the rest of his life. Yeah, I mean, I think as well as he's played this season, though, like, he may get an opportunity in the NFL. I'm, I'm not really sure what his baseball contract is. Um, if he's got some clause in there about he can't play football, um, but uh, you know, I would, I, I think someone's going to take a chance on him in the NFL and at least try to get him to to come play for him. I mean, yeah, if if he if he's if he says like he's going to be focusing on baseball first. I mean, yeah, you might see a team in the NFL draft like draft him in a later round in hopes that you know they have his rights and that he might play in the NFL one day. I mean, we've had multi-sport athletes in the past. I mean, namely Bo Jackson, who played you know baseball and football at separate times in his career. That could be a possibility for Kyler Murray. Yeah. Baseball is definitely the better decision long term. It is definitely. If, if you can make it to the big leagues and have like a steady career, you know you're going to have a much longer career and. He's going to make more um, money playing baseball, yeah, too. you make more money, and you know, the endorsements may not be as good, but you definitely are going to be able to play a lot longer. Yeah, he'll be able to play longer. He'll make more money. He'll be able to have his body will be more well taken care of. I mean, I guess it's just the uh, selfish person to me that still wants to see him play football, too, because he's just so fucking good. I mean, yeah. I, it's gonna, it's, it kind of sucks that this might be – we only probably only have like one more game to watch him play football, assuming that they lose to Alabama. Right. Hold, is he as good of a baseball prospect as he got picked in the first round? Is he like, or is he a little overhyped? Um, you know, just, I mean, you, all the things you see on the football field are a lot of the reasons why he's such a highly sought after baseball prospect. I mean, he just got amazing quickness and speed, and um, he's got really good hands, uh, you know, really a lot stronger than he looks. Um, you know, I mean, I, I'm not sure if, if he's going to be a shortstop or an outfielder, but, um, you know, it's kind of surprising. I, me that I've, I've seen him. I've seen him play um, only a few times. Um, he was obviously hurt when, uh, <clears throat> you know, Mississippi State knocked him out of the uh, 
college baseball playoff last year. Um, and then I saw him play in the Cape Cod League uh, a little bit last year. And, um, you know, he didn't really do a whole lot. Um, I think he was he was nursing an injury last year in the offseason, but uh, he didn't really show a whole lot when I saw him. But obviously when he has played, he's hit because you don't get drafted that high without being able to hit. I'm surprised he, he's not a pitcher because they could easily convert him to a pitcher if they want to. Uh, he's really undersized for a right-hander. You don't see very many right-handed pitchers that are that short. I still don't think size really mattered for pitching because, like, Pedro Martinez is only, like, 5'9", right? I don't think he was that tall. Yeah, I mean, that's more of – I mean, I don't think he was that short, but, I mean, that's a little bit more of a exception than the rule. I mean, what you see, like, a lot of right-handed pitchers just don't uh, – I mean, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like a whole thing, but, I mean, basically it's just right hand, short right-handed pitchers is something you kind of tend to stay away from. Yeah, well, I just I fact checked myself. Pedro is five eleven, which Kyler Murray's what they list him at six feet, I think. Yeah, he's not that tall. Yeah, yeah. He believed that uh, he was at AM and he wasn't even a starter. I mean, maybe that was. I mean, favorite. even when he played, I mean, even when he played, I didn't. He wasn't think that he impressive. was amazing. Like, I mean, yeah, I he, thought, he wasn't. He wasn't a world beater at all when he played. He had some flashes. He had some flashes, but I mean, I just I don't know if he just wasn't ready to play or if someone just didn't know how to use him or what. But, I mean, yeah. he definitely didn't live up to his full potential when he was there. Yeah, because uh, there was a game that you and I attended, Alex, when Anon played Ole Miss in 2015. Uh, Kyler did not play at all that entire game. They kept playing Kyle Allen. And I remember we talked to some A&M fans, and they were not happy with Kevin Sumlin because they wanted Kyler Murray to play. There was a lot of A&M fans that preferred Kyler Murray over Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen was a good quarterback. I mean, he, he wasn't he like he, he could have been. Could have been a disappointment. Um, Holt, we talk a lot about uh, Tua and SEC and how great of a player he is, but SEC historically is a defense-first conference. So we know the good team defenses, but who would be your defensive player of the year? I think I have the guy in my mind, but I just want to see if you and JB match up and I match up with who should be the best player. I mean, it's hard not to go with uh, Keenan Williams from Alabama. I mean, he's just been so dominant. Um, you know, great defensive linemen can really affect a game, and they can really just stop whatever you're doing offensively. And, I mean, to me, he's been probably the most dominant player that I've I've seen this year in SEC. But that being said, there, I mean, there is a ton of talent on the defensive side in the SEC this year. It seems like even more than usual, especially on the defensive line. But, um, I mean, he's been the one that stood out to me the most. JB, who you got? Uh, shit, it's really hard to pick one. I mean, I, I really like – I mean, I, I might go with someone different. I, I really like Greedy Williams at LSU. I like DeAndre Baker, so I might be going with someone in the secondary. Uh, I do like Ken Williams a lot, too. Uh, Jeff Jeffrey or Montez Sweat like him too. I was about to say Jeffrey Sweat, Montez Sweat. I, I like him a lot too. Just merge, just merge him and Jeffrey Simmons into one person. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Jeffrey Sweat, Montez Simmons. <laughs> yeah, I, I, but I yeah, I like I like all four of those guys. I don't know if I want to pick one of those four yet. If I was leaning to one, I might actually lean to DeAndre Baker of Georgia. I am surprised neither of you mentioned Josh Allen with 14 sacks at Kentucky. That's another one too, but it's I don't know. Just <laughs> shit. I feel like I'm disrespecting Kentucky now because we didn't mention Josh Allen. I mean, yeah. you can be you can be the one that uh, 
I, I've been on, I've been on Kentucky's nuts all year. I'm gonna let you get on their nuts here, Alex, and get with Josh Allen. Well, I'm just saying I'm, I'm not on their nuts. I'm just saying Josh Allen has 14 sacks, so I think he should be a player there. He's actually. Um, it's like we don't. I don't feel like we talk about him enough, but I mean, he's. I think he's like a projected first round draft pick, which yeah. there, there has to be like the, the whole first round has to be all SEC because he's supposed to go in the first rounds. Um, I think Jeffrey Simmons and Montez Sweat are going in the first round. Gree Williams is going in the first rounds. There's, there's like, I guess like, <laughs> there's like more than thirty two. <laughs> and then I think, uh, yeah. what is it, Chauncey Gardner at Florida, probably a potential first rounder as well. As lineman, no it's safety. Uh, who's the defensive lineman for Florida? Really, I can't think of his name. Okay, never mind. I guess you're you drawing a blank. <laughs> oh, they, I know that was. They have a point. linebacker. Uh, gosh, what's his name? I'm sorry, I'm totally drawing a blank. <laughs> We're just totally <laughs> off base on Florida's defense right now. And um, Devin White will probably be a first round draft pick, right? Yeah, definitely. So that's, that's like at least five right there. Oh yeah, I mean it's just the SEC is absolutely loaded on defense. I mean it's just, I mean just just the, the conference itself. Like you might be talking about at least twenty five, thirty percent of the first rounds can all come from the SEC this year. Yeah, I mean that's not anything new, but it just seems like like what Hall was saying. Like this year, especially on defense, it, it seems like it's loaded, loaded. Um, which that's like the Twitter thing. We say you say a word twice, and that means like an extra emphasis on it. Like they're loaded, loaded on defense this year. Um, but yeah, really good defensive year. Um, so I don't want to get into the playoff predictions, what was going to happen. Um, although I would just think like we could keep it short and say, Oh yeah, we'll save that for our previous show three weeks from now. How about that? Yeah. Um, let's talk about not, I don't want to preview preview, but (laughs) let's talk about the bowl games because they were all picked today. I think for the most part here. So we have a lot of SEC bowl games. First of all, hold. Did you um, did you start shotgun beers when Mississippi State finally got into the Outback Bowl? <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, I thought about there's an Outback over here. I thought about going over there, but uh, <laughs> hey. it uh, it it looked pretty crowded. I think uh, you know, I do live in Mississippi, so I think uh, a lot of other Mississippi State fans, uh, you know, a, a lot of people probably don't know this outside the state of Mississippi, but uh. Mississippi State fans have actually been boycotting Outback for like almost twenty years now. Um, yeah, I actually I was going to ask you, Holt, can you give us a background story on what yeah. happened in nineteen ninety nine when Georgia apparently got selected over Mississippi State? Yeah, so this uh, was it the ninety eight season or the ninety nine season? Ninety nine season, Georgia played Drew Brees and Purdue in the Outback. Uh, okay, well I know it was similar to this year. Or Mississippi State um, had a one of the best defenses in the country. And, um, you know, obviously I was only like seven years old when this happened, so I don't really remember. But just from what I've heard from other Mississippi State fans, um, Mississippi State was a significantly better team than Georgia that year. And um, the Outback decided that Georgia was going to bring more fans. So they decided to pick Georgia instead of Mississippi State. Mississippi State had to go to a – The Peach Bowl, wasn't it? Was Was it the Peach Bowl? I think it was the Peach Bowl. Peach Bowl's not bad. Bowl, well, Peach but, Bowl uh, back then wasn't as considered as prestigious as the Outback Bowl. It was a New Year's Eve Bowl back then. But uh, anyway, it was uh, you know a lot of Mississippi State fans were really upset about that. And then uh, there's been a few other times since then um, where the Outback has had a chance to pick Mississippi State and they didn't. Last year included, um, Mississippi State had a just as good of a record as South Carolina, and um, South Carolina got to go because um, they're a little bit closer. So. Uh, 
there's been kind of a you know Mississippi State fans don't really like uh, Outback Steakhouse that much uh, because of that. It's been kind of this running thing that's been going on forever. So I think uh, a lot of Mississippi State fans broke their uh, you know their boycott and uh, we're over here at the uh, the Flowood Outback Steakhouse today. Do you, do you think if you would have gone there and just like asked to see the manager shake his hand and say thank you, thank you for finally doing it? Yeah, I'm sure he had a lot to do with it. I'm sure he called him up oh. and was like, "Man, we need some more business here. Like, go the Miss. <laughs> it's all Ole Miss fans and Southern Miss fans. Like, <laughs> we're cutting out like a third of the population here, man. We really need y'all are, help. Y'all are fucking us up some type of way right now. <laughs> do you think? But here, here's my question: If he went up and shook his hand. And like said, just like thank you, man, for finally doing this for us. Do you think he would have been like, man, you're welcome, and like he would have understood exactly what you're talking about? <laughs> man, I've, I have no idea. Um, I like to, I'd like to think so. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, he's probably, he's probably definitely noticed that uh, Mississippi State fans haven't been eating there. So, I think he's just happy that uh, he's getting some more business now. Talk about the the game. I'm not telling you to preview the game, but as as a state fan or as a um, speaker of the house for the state fans here, um, do you think, or, or not? Do you think are you excited to play Iowa, or would you rather have a? I guess you would rather play Penn State in a different game. But um, is Iowa exciting enough, or like you just like, hey, we can actually win this game? Yeah, well, I think Penn State was the matchup that a lot of state fans wanted to see. Um, that being said, I, I'm fairly excited about the Iowa matchup just because um, they're a pretty recognizable name and uh, they have a pretty good tradition. And compared to some of the other names I was hearing, like Northwestern and Michigan State and, uh, you know, some Michigan's, other – Yeah. yeah those, some those some other teams that just weren't, you know, too exciting. You know, it's definitely better than that. And, you know, Mississippi State and Iowa have never played each other before. And um, for those of you who don't know um, – I finished high school in Chicago, and a lot of people that uh, I went to high school with ended up going to Iowa, and uh, a lot of family friends, and uh, I had a teacher in high school that went to Iowa that I was pretty close with who uh, loves college football, so uh, it was kind of a cool matchup for me personally. I know most Mississippi State fans don't really care about Iowa at all, but I'm pretty excited about it. I mean, I am too, because Iowa and Mississippi State both have elite defenses this year. That's going to be exciting to watch both of those defenses. It's really going to be which offense can make a play because I could see this one being an absolute, like, uh, you know, stalemate between these two teams because yeah. both of them are just really good on defense. I would exactly. ever get a lot of respect. But I like who they are as a program. And I like that they um, signed their coach to, like, a 20-year contract just because they were like, you know, we're not going to we're not gonna fire him anytime soon and we're not going to try to go out and get um, Nick Saban as our coach. So we're just going to be all right with our – eight, nine wins a year and occasional 10 or 11 wins every now and then. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, too, is, like, he does have, you know, those teams every, like, three or four years that go, like, 11 and 1 or 10 and 2 and make it to the Rose Bowl or, you know, contend for the you know the Big Ten Championship and, you know, flirt with a playoff appearance. You know what I mean? And like, it does, it yeah, does happen every few years. And it seemed like this year was going to be that year for them, too. Like, they had a few losses this year that should have gone their way and it didn't, and they wound up at 8 and 4 when they probably should have been at least a 10 and 2 team. Right. Let me let me go through the bowl games real quick, and we can just talk about which games uh, jump out. Which is something that's really exciting. Um, but no, no speaking until I'm done here. So we have Alabama, Oklahoma, obviously in the uh, Cotton Bowl, or excuse me, Orange Bowl. Uh, read that wrong. Read that wrong. Um, the 29th, Georgia, Texas, and Sugar Bowl. 
LSU, Central Florida, Fiesta Bowl, Auburn, Purdue, Music City Bowl, uh, Missouri, Oklahoma State, Liberty Bowl, here I get some good ribs in Memphis, uh, A&M, NC State, Gator Bowl, Kentucky Penn, Sta- Kentucky, Penn State, Citrus Bowl, Baylor, Vanderbilt, Texas Bowl, Michigan, Florida, Peach Bowl, obviously Mississippi State, Iowa, Outback Bowl, South Carolina, Virginia, Belt Bowl. First of all, man, we got a lot of teams out here that are bowl eligible, so god dang, we're a good conference. All right. 11 of them, right? 11 games total. Um, let's see here. The game that excites me the most, I really don't know. Michigan Florida doesn't excite me enough. Uh, I can tell I will give you which one excites me the most. All right, Jamie, go for it. LSU Central Florida? No. Missouri, Missouri and Oklahoma State. Yeah, I was going to say that one, too. Because Offense. it's two awesome offenses, two teams that used to be conference rivals that used to play each other you know, quite a bit. And, you know, you got Drew Locke against Mike Gundy's offense. I mean, it's going to be really exciting. I think Missouri has an edge just because I'm, I think their defense is a little bit better. They're also a hot team. But look at Oklahoma State. They're the one that, one of the schools that has three wins over top ten teams this year. And that's going to be exciting, too. Oklahoma State's going to bring a lot of fans to Memphis. Missouri will bring a lot of fans. I feel like Missouri kind of got shafted with this bowl, too. I mean, even though it's a group of six, Liberty Bowl definitely isn't on the same level of prestige as, you know, bowls like the Gator Bowl or the Outback Bowl. But still, they end up going there. Yeah. Um, they're very close, too, like to Memphis, I would say, relatively to more than other schools. Um, although Oklahoma State is probably further than I think it is. It's not that close. Um, let's see. What what game excites me? Maybe LSU Central Florida, even though I, I, the only reason why I say that is because I think Central Florida could beat LSU, and that will keep the conversation going for Central Florida. Um, I don't know. How, how do you all feel about that? Because that is like an offense-defense matchup. I am not that excited about this one because I actually think such Florida might be able to win this one. And I just do not want to see such a Florida go undefeated again and hear their stupid ass propaganda over the offseason <laughs> as back to back national championships because LSU is not going to have their two uh, starting cornerbacks uh, in this game either. And it's really going to be up to uh, LSU's offense and Joe Burrow to uh, control the line of scrimmage and stay on the field and keep UCF's offense off the field. I'm not really confident about this one. I, I would have much rather seen UCF get matched up with Florida or Georgia than LSU at this point. Yeah. Florida would have been a lot more fun just because, you know, it's a <laughs> in-state thing. And, you know, I, th- I feel like Florida is a little bit more motivated in their bowl game. Plus, we've seen Florida-Michigan, like, I mean, yeah. haven't we seen that game like three times in the a last, lot. like, yeah, like, like, I mean, they've been playing way too much. I'm surprised they didn't switch those around and have LSU play Michigan. You can blame Scott Strickland on that. Florida's AD and man, Florida he, Brass did not want to play UCF. Hey, man, you know us Mississippi State fans, we love blaming Scott Strickland for everything. So, yeah. Shout out yeah. to um, – LSU Michigan would have been a lot more exciting to me. Shout out to yeah. – um, I'm with you on that, JB. Shout out to who? Alex, sorry. Yeah, it's for the third time. Shout out to Coach Coach Mack out of here getting out of this game before, before he had to <laughs> face, his, face his former team. <laughs> It's kind of funny. I yeah. guess you. I'm looking at this, and, like, y'all, one of y'all tweeted that, and I was like, this isn't real. Like, why would he leave for Central Michigan? I guess, like, these coaches, like, they just want to be their own own man. And yeah. Don't wanna... they, they don't want to take orders anymore. Once they get a taste of uh, being in charge, they don't want to go back to being an assistant. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah. I don't understand it, though. Like, I, and if you look at McElwain, his, his bio or his uh, coaching history – uh, he has been like all over the map, and he—I guess he had a good thing going at Florida, or he thought he did, um, until he had to do some make some make up some lies, I guess. But right, he—he um, he has been all over the place, and I guess he doesn't mind 
um, staying all over the place, like coaching in Central Michigan. I guess he sees, sees Central Michigan, he can coach there for a little bit, then go somewhere um, Power Five after that. I don't know how it's going to work out there. Exactly. Another thing I'll let you uh, guys know, uh, you know, like you said, Alex, 11 SEC teams are making a bowl this year. Nine of those 11 are favored to win their bowl games. Yeah, that's, that was my, my initial thought for this, uh, this bowl slate here is that it's it's not looking like it's going to be too bad for SEC here. There's a couple games where I think might be in trouble. One one game that's probably going to be – Purdue-Auburn concerns me a little bit. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's the one game that was going to embarrass – maybe embarrass the SEC is Purdue just destroys Auburn because that's that's possible. Purdue, um, Jeff Rahm is a better coach. And they actually might be playing up for uh, Jeff Rahm since he decided to stay. I don't know how that's going to work out, but look, that, that might be the case there. Um, but it'll um, – other than that, like I think there's a there's a lot of winnable games here for SEC teams. Definitely. So um, let's let's talk real quick for the last uh, last few minutes here about the uh, exciting coaching moves that are about to happen or that are rumored to happen. So a um, couple of job openings you have Colorado opening with uh, coach that's I guess the second coach Mac coach Mac too. McIntyre, whatever his name is, um, Mike McIntyre. Yeah, and the whole thing was funny because I think they they reported that um, that the AD or somebody said that uh, they reported it earlier that the, he wasn't going to be back at the end of the year, and the school denied it. And then right after the last game, they ended up firing him. So it's kind of funny. So that one was open, and then Kansas State actually just came up open today with um, Snyder finally and retiring. Yeah, at the ripe age of like ninety seven years old, finally decided to get out. <laughs> uh, so there's there's two jobs. There's um I guess there's some other jobs. I don't I can't think of all the other jobs right now. But there's two. Uh, Louisville I guess is still open, and uh, yeah, Louisville's looking at Scott Satterfield from Appalachian yeah. State. And as did I, uh, did Colorado not hire uh, Mel Tucker? Well, that's what that's what I was gonna say. I don't know. I don't think it's happened officially yet. But that is uh, definitely it's it. it's not official yet. But it's it's looking likely. And then, they were talking about Derek Mason for that job too. That they were an interesting hire. Yeah. And another thing you're talking about coaching changes, Alex. This is actually it's as of right now, it's looking highly likely that the SEC is going to have all 14 coaches returning after this season. It's very unusual. Very unusual for this conference. I, I haven't I haven't done my research on this, but I am curious. The one was the last time the SEC returned every single coach from the previous season. It's when probably, is- it, I don't I don't remember it ever happening at least in the last 15 20 years. And you're you're reporting out of Knoxville that. Hugh Freeze is more and more likely to be the offensive coordinator at Tennessee. Yeah, he looks like he's a clear-cut favorite to uh, get the job. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this is resolved uh, Monday or Tuesday and he's named the offensive coordinator. I think it's pretty much down to Hugh Freeze and Chip Lindsey with the offensive coordinator position. And either one will be good, <clears throat> be a good hire for for uh, Jeremy Pruitt. So regardless, that looks like that's coming to re- resolution. And the biggest thing is that offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators and assistant coaches are having to get hired earlier than usual because usually you don't see those hires made until January. But now because of this early signing period and recruiting, coaches don't have time to sit on their ass and wait if one of their assistants leaves. Like they have to get a new assistant soon so they can put them out on the recruiting trail. Tennessee is the – are they the favorite for like the Memphis running back that decommitted from Michigan? Uh, yeah, they are the favorite to land Eric Gray. Yes, I was thought. And I, I, where does he go to high school at? Lake he goes football, to Lausanne, which is weird, weird because he was Tennessee, Mister Tennessee football, right? He is, yeah. And then also, I know Tennessee just got a major commitment a couple of days ago from the number two quarterback in the country, Harrison Bailey, for the twenty twenty class. 
Yeah, he was like number fifty-seven overall or something like that, fifty-nine overall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll um, we'll see how that plays off. Tennessee. That's what um, our our boy SEC Mike tweeted. Some. I guess is he he's a is he a closet Tennessee fan, JB? Oh yeah. I, I mean, I don't think he's ever, <clears throat> or excuse me, he's never admitted it. But I mean, I can just tell by looking at his tweets, he definitely favors Tennessee more than the other programs in the conference. Yeah, he tweeted the other day about with all the um, decommitments. Uh, Tennessee could be a top, possibly a f- top five class. We'll see. I mean, they're like number fifteen ish right now. Yeah, they're somewhere borderline top ten. I definitely think Tennessee will finish top ten recruiting. Maybe have an outside shot to get into the top five, just depending on how some of the chips fall. Right now, I think it's Alabama and um, Georgia for the top three. So that's kind of scary. And I think LSU's in the top ten. Uh, they might be top five. Actually, I don't know. I think they're top. They're definitely top ten, but they might be. Top yeah, and, yeah. And the crazy thing is, Tennessee could finish in the top ten, but they may only finish like fifth or sixth in the conference. That's just how strong recruiting is. Yeah. Another thing, Holt is uh, Mississippi State is actually falling behind Ole Miss. Correct. Okay. Yeah, I haven't looked at uh, any of the rankings lately, honestly. Um, but uh, I mean, I guess you got them right in front of you. So well, are you looking at the two four seven or what? I- I'm actually not looking at it right now, but I'm about to since we're we're talking about it so much. But yeah, it was um it was Ole Miss. Let's let's look at it real quick. We have oh God, this is complete domination. We have two four seven for a class of nineteen team rankings. We have Alabama, A and M, Georgia, LSU for the top four. Um, Auburn's number eleven, Tennessee's fifteen, Arkansas sixteen. Shout out to Arkansas, that's a good one. Um I, I guess Mississippi State has fallen behind, but not really. Ole Miss is eighteen, Mississippi State nineteen. South Carolina 20, Florida 21. Um, so, let's see who the lame duck is. Kentucky's number 30. Uh, Vanderbilt's probably even further down. Uh, Missouri's 43. But, I mean, again, you can't put too uh, too much stock in recruiting. I think if you get in the top five class, that's that's a difference maker. But, like, for instance, these these group of, group of schools from Auburn all the way to Florida, ranging from 11 to 21, that's really um, – a lot of parity, so you, that's when coaching takes takes over more than recruiting. So um, we'll see how that. You goes. have to look at the positions too, because sometimes those rankings get a little bit out of sort because, like, one team will be recruiting like really well at one position, but they're not really solving any of their needs, kind of thing. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, just to use. I mean, obviously, using Ole Miss as an example, you know, yeah, they they recruit a ton of like four and five star wide receivers, but you don't really see a lot of highly recruited defensive players. You know, there. Also, you don't know if they'll have a quarterback thrown. I mean, I guess they do have Corral, the Golden Corral, the next year coming to him. But we'll see how that plays out. Um, but yeah, it's that's why you can't get too excited. JB, you should know that more than anybody that you can't get too excited about recruiting ranking. Absolutely not, because Tennessee in the last decade has had probably about three or four top five classes and majority top ten classes under you know different regimes, and you see how well that's turned out for them. Same with uh, same with LSU. Actually, they always have like top five classes, and um, they just can't can't beat Bama. Although Bama's got different recruiting, like they're on another level of recruiting. But um, they, they well, have- it's kind of the same thing with LSU. I mean, you know, they they don't recruit is that a lot of their best players are DBs and wide receivers, and you know they don't recruit defensive linemen and linebackers quite like they used to. They don't recruit offensive linemen quite like they used to. It's just it's a lot of skill guys, and they still haven't been able to find a quarterback. So I mean. You know, you put all that into context, and I mean, yeah, like, recruiting rankings definitely matter, but at the same time, you have to, you know, be actually solving your problems, um, like the recruiting. Going going back to the, the coaching um, moves here, 
Um, we, we talked about Mel Tucker being the favorite for Colorado. Do you think that's a good move for him personally? If I guess if he wants to get to a bit bigger job, ultimately bigger than Colorado. I mean, I don't think Colorado is um, like a great job. I do think it's kind of a stepping stone job. Yeah. Um, it is kind of difficult there. Um, you know, they're not really super committed to football there. It's kind of, you know, like some similar problems like we've seen with Vanderbilt and like similar schools where like Georgia Tech, where they're just not quite as committed um, like all around. And um, I think Colorado has like some weird state law where like um, no uh, – I don't know exactly what the law is, but basically like they can't hire a coach for more than like a two year contract and they, they're only allowed to pay them like so much money. So it's just kind of like a really weird situation where like they can't really even guarantee you anything like when you take that job. So it's just also, kind of a tricky situation. Here, here's my thought on the whole thing that <laughs> for Mel Tucker going to Georgia, I guess he does want to like make call the shots to be his own man. Like a lot of like very similar to Jim McElwain trying to go to central Michigan but for him at Georgia, Georgia isn't going anywhere. They're going to be like a definitely a top ten team, probably a top five team next year and the year after. And he's just going to keep looking better and better. So he yeah, his opportunity. He could be like Kirby Smart and like yeah. just wait for the perfect opportunity. In fact, that's why I would argue Kirby Smart is such a good coach right now, is because a lot of coaches do like to jump around at the first chance they get. And Kirby Smart was very patient at Alabama. He probably learned so much under Saban that a lot of people wouldn't have learned because they jump around so much. So I think that's why Kirby Smart's so good. I think that's why – I mean, Mel Tucker's been an NFL coach, so, I mean, maybe he doesn't need to listen to Kirby Smart. But um, I just think he could he could take a better job and uh, wait. Kind of similar to um, Brent Venerables, uh, the yeah. Clemson, he's waited a while. And I mean, there's some jobs that he wanted that he didn't get. I think he would have. Well, his uh, his alma mater just opened up. I'm pretty yeah. sure it's his alma mater. And, uh, a lot of people are just claiming that Brent Venables has no interest in being a head coach, much less at his alma mater. And uh, there's one candidate, Alex, that what may interest you is that uh, I saw Mike Norvell on a short list for the Kansas State job. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that too. But uh, you know, the the good thing about losing a Central Order continuously is that like that that kind of goes down each year because it's like. It's like, well, he's good. He's got a good offense and he's good, but he can't win the big games against such a Florida, and he hasn't won a bowl game yet. So I think that's kind of holding him back. I mean, they could win against uh, – they, they play Wake Forest in the Birmingham Bowl, which isn't yeah. super exciting. Boring. That's it really so is boring. boring. It really is boring. But, um, I mean, maybe we'll finally win a bowl game. We haven't won a one in forever. Oh, yeah. But you should definitely beat them. <laughs> we should, yeah. Well, they we'll... did beat the crap out of Duke the other day. Or last they week. did. They did. And shout out to Dave Clawson. Doing a pretty good job there at Wake Forest. You know another guy that um, isn't is kind of just weird, but like uh, just kind of good is uh, Dave Doreen or Dave Doran, whatever his name is. Dave Do- Dave Doran at NC State. Yeah, he was. I mean, he was another guy that was rumored to get the um, Tennessee job or trying to I, get the old, oh, old yeah. Miss job too. Yeah, I, hard Matt Luke. I'm, I was not a fan of Dave Doran. I was That's so what, glad that that didn't work out. What I'm saying he's he's not that exciting. He like he's he's gotten yeah. better each year, but he hasn't done anything super exciting to me. Like, yeah, that's 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 exactly how I would describe him. It's like he's not like a bad coach or anything, but like who's going to be excited to hire him? Like, yeah, like I would rather hire Mike Norvell than him. And yeah, like someone with some upside. Yeah, in fact, I think I, I think Mike Norvell is a good coach. I I just don't think he's completely ready for a big time job yet because they just they do need to fit, figure out the defense, and that's not like I don't know if that's all on him. I mean, I guess it all does like go back to the head coach, but I mean Memphis has never really been a good. Defense with, um, I mean, they were with what's the name with a uh, Barry Odom there, but 
they're um they're not going to be a good defense next year. It's not like they're going to just turn around next year, I don't think. But um, I mean, you're hiring offense when you when you hire him, so um, he just needs to make a few adjustments. Did y'all watch that Central Florida game at all? Oh yeah, I flipped over there quite often during the Alabama Georgia game, especially when the Alabama Georgia game was being completely controlled by Georgia when they were up by two touchdowns. Uh, the Memphis UCF game was a little more exciting at the time. Yeah, they actually I watched a lot of the first half, but the second half. I just got really into the Alabama Georgia game and yeah. I kind of stopped flipping over as much. But uh, they were running. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry, Alex. Yeah, it was, it, was, um, it was actually a tough day all around because Memphis uh, basketball was playing Texas Tech and they were up by like 13 in the second half and they ended up yeah, losing. Well, regular season college basketball didn't really mean a whole lot. So I think they have plenty of, ch- plenty of chances to bounce back. Yeah, I don't know if I told you all that, but that's why I told I told, told that to like my manager at work, something about like, I was like, I'm missing the Memphis games. I was like, he's like, are you talking about regular? Are you talking about college basketball right now? I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, I guess I didn't know people watch like the people watch basketball before March. Like, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying, man. It's like, I mean, I'll watch a little bit. Like, I'll watch Mississippi State play, and you know, I watched some of the uh, like that first weekend they had where they had a couple of, like huge matchups. So I'll watch that, but I mean, you know, someone wins, and it's like you want to get excited, but it's like it doesn't really matter. I mean, I understand, like, if it's your team. Yeah. Like, but at the same time, it's just kind of like, you know, it's it's hard to get too worked up for these games because in the grand scheme of things, they don't really matter. It was a sharp contrast between – because I was flipping between the Central Florida game and the um, Texas Tech basketball game. And I was like, man, there is nobody at this basketball game compared to this Central Florida game, which Central Florida, they, they had that, that place rocking. It looked like a pretty good crowd. Um, yeah, for sure. They, and they, they, came, they came to rally for their quarterback and obviously their team because they're now – Gonna be national champions two years in a row. Probably be LSU who doesn't care much. Um, we'll see. But so um, that's probably the end of this podcast. So we're gonna kind of um, not necessarily take a break from podcasting, but we're gonna podcast maybe once a week from here on out. Um, we'll definitely do a preview show probably by next Saturday. I think the first bowl game is the fifteenth, right? Um, so yeah, well, the first SEC game isn't until like the twenty. 20- third or something i think Vanderbilt, so i'm sure by like next week we'll have a lot of stuff to figure out with the coaching coaching moves coaching carousel um is what people say i like to say a lot but um really this year seems like kind of a down year for the whole coaching carousel uh but still there'll be some moves made maybe freeze will be the offensive coordinator by the end of the week and mel tucker will be gone actually i guess if mel tucker was gone he wouldn't coach in the uh the bowl game for them uh, probably not because it's not a playoff game. So I, I actually see just uh, Mel Tucker just going ahead and heading out to Colorado. And you watch. And when Mel Tucker takes his Colorado job, watch out quickly. Kirby Smart moves on this, even with the game coming up, because just because of recruiting now. I think he would hire the um, one of the one of the people on staff to be a defensive coordinator. I don't know. Maybe he could hire somebody else, but I think that's who. I mean, that's that's what Saban always does. He usually likes to promote from within, and that's why I think Enos will be the, the future OC when. Loxley leaves. Yeah. But, yeah, like, I, I do think that you just watch. Like, these positions will be locked up pretty quickly. Like, you can't really wait anymore because of landscape and recruiting now. Yeah. But that concludes our conference championship podcast. Kind of sad. It's coming to an end, but we're getting to a still excited part. People don't like bowl games because there's so many of them, but it's actually really exciting because there are a lot of games. Um, so I'm, I'm so excited for that, but we have to wait a couple weeks and I guess watch NFL from here on out. Um, but thanks for listening to SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. Unless you fellas got anything to say, we're going to peace on out of here. I just want to say real quick that um, I think we should do a bowl pick thing on ESPN. 
and just call it SEC Slow Smoked, and then obviously three of us can join in. Anyone listening can uh, join in as well. Yeah, so sure. sounds like a plan so to me. That could be a little thing we do. We'll tweet it out. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. All right, I'm going to talk to you fellas later. Y'all have a good one. Peace. Olive.